This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, we want to welcome everybody and thank you all for joining. Thank you all um, uh, f- the Torah Anytime viewers, subscribers, joiners that listen uh, from this amazing platform called Torah Anytime. So tonight, Bezat Hashem, we're going to be continuing what we spoke about uh, last time, which is the Refua before the Makkah, and this really is is part two. Tonight we're learning Leiluni Shmat Avraham ben Chaim Yehuda and Yecheskel ben Avraham. So the point of these classes is to train yourself to see things from a different perspective. And once we see things from a different perspective, our reality changes. Our entire reality changes. The, the, you know, like when we look at our life and any area, let's say, for example, it's health. If we're able to, you know, and let's say someone has, you know, health issues. I don't know, back issues, you know, uh, um, you know, whatever it is. It could be anything. Pain. And if you're able to change your perspective you know, and look at it from like, well, it's good that I didn't, that I feel the pain because if I didn't feel the pain, who knows how, you know, much more difficult it would be. People that can't feel the pain, for example, diabetics, they have peripheral neuropathy, they can't feel their, their, uh, their extremities, they could step on a nail, they don't feel it, they don't have that sensation, the nerves are damaged over there, they go, they, they, God forbid, they could, you know, bleed out, they could have an infection in the foot, if they get a cut, they don't realize it. The fact that we're able to pe- feel pain can be a positive. So in any aspect of our life, we have two ways of looking at things. We have a way of looking at it from the negative, and we have a way of looking at it from the positive. The idea behind the salvation before the affliction, the refuah before the makkah, is to train yourself to see the positive before the negative. And just as a quick recap, the Gemara Megillah, page uh, 13b, this is something that we spoke about in the first class, that this is the source of this, that, that Rish Lakish says that, Baruch God doesn't hurt or, or send in an affliction to, to Klal Yisrael, only if he creates a healing beforehand, meaning before anything that appears, and I'm using air quotes, appears bad, there is a refuah already, already set in place. Now, there is a, a bunch of different angles to break this down. In general, whenever I look at a certain topic, I always try to get at it from all angles. It's always very, if you want to know a topic, you can't just learn it in a, in a, a very superficial manner, but rather you have to go from, from this angle and from that angle. And once you get in it from all different angles, then you really know the topic. And to, just to try to explain this idea, if let's say you want to have, let's say, let, let's say like a, a nation like Israel, right? They need to have such top notch security that if they have one gap, that's it. The, the infiltration that could come in, the damage that could cause from that, from that one little gap, it can be tremendous. And, a, and an example of that, like one little gap would be, you know, the tunnels that they used to that they find, you know, in Gaza. A small little hole, but could cause so much damage, so much trouble, so much problems. So the Israeli army, the Israeli intelligent forces, they have to constantly look at Israel from all different angles. And how are we going to go and protect Israel from underground, from overground, from through the seas, from, you know, technology, from, from all areas and from within, they have to go and they have to protect it. So how do you, how are you able to protect it? You can't say, okay, I'll have a solid army. I'll have a very, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of uh, fighter jets and, and warplanes and, ships and every uh, technology out there it's not going to be enough you have to you have to really look at it from all different angles and make sure you get everything from all different then you're secured if you want to secure an understanding, if you want it to be able to secure an a, a idea, you have to look at it from all different angles. And you have to dissect it and you have to go through it and all, and then, only then, you can acquire that piece of knowledge. And that's how I try to go when we present different classes, different series, and that's why we do it in series, because we try to really dissect it and get it from all different angles. Now, this itself, this Refuah Before the Makkah, we try to also go in it from all different angles. So what we spoke about in the first class was the first three out of the seven things that I wanted to speak about. So the number one, that it's a plan, that when a Kedush Baruch Hu sends you something negative or what appears to be negative, it's planned. The idea of being planned means that there's a reason for it. That's going at it from one angle. Going at it from a different angle, number two, means that the cure was already created. When you know that something negative is happening, but the cure is already created, it, it's automatically less troubling. And I believe the example that we gave, if let's say somebody gets bitten by a snake that's poisonous, but they know they have the cure, the antidote right there, it's already, you're able to deal with it so much better. So if you know, if you're going through something in your life or whatever difficulty there it is, 
the cure already already is created, it makes it a little bit easier to go through that. And number three is that we spoke about last time was that sometimes our minor or major discomforts can later become our salvations. Meaning that sometimes what looks like bad can really be not only good for us, but can save us from so many other things. So I want to continue on the on, on the next you know four things that you know to speak about. But before we do that, I have to share with you something. So so and this is on you know on the topic. I have a uh, student of mine that uh, recently got married, and he works as a real estate agent. And uh, um, if anybody follows the real estate market or or news at large, knows that lately the interest rate rose you know, like by a lot of points compared to to what it was two, three years ago or even a year ago. And uh, because of that, people are not able to afford, you know, houses that they were once able to afford. And it's more difficult, uh, you know, to acquire a mortgage and the housing prices. There's the real estate, you know, market went through, uh, went through some troubled times and people that work in real estate, you know, it got affected. And he was a real estate agent. And because of the, you know, the interest rate, the market was slow and he hadn't, you know, he hadn't, he hasn't been able to make a sale in a while. And he was listening to one of our classes. It was uh, Imuna Part 54 on uh, gratitude on, on, on relationships. And in there, we spoke about the idea of meditating to be grateful. That meaning that you have to really focus and having hakaras atov ta'akadosh being grateful ta'akadosh baruch And once you really get to a point that even if you're going through something difficult, you're able to somehow get to a point that you're really grateful. Now, there is a difference when you say gratitude or, or even when you think gratitude to when you feel gratitude. The idea of meditating is to really bring it in and to really to be able to go and to, to feel to feel that gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even in the difficulty that we may be going through. And that is the idea that I was speaking uh, you know, about. And he paused this year, he was driving. He paused this year and he decided that he's going to meditate on being grateful that he didn't have any uh, you know, business you know, uh, you know, in the past, uh, whatever, few weeks, few months. And as he's meditating, he gets a phone call. And he gets a phone call, and it comes from this uh, from this person who wants to hire him as an agent. They've been trying to sell their house in Brooklyn, and you know for whatever reason it wasn't going. They weren't happy with the current, uh, you know, it was on the market for already a few months, and nothing. There was no hits on it, and they weren't happy with the current real estate agent. They want to switch the real estate agent, and they referred to him. So he's like, okay, he schedules a time. He hangs up the phone. He calls me up right away. And he's like, Rabbi, you don't understand what happened. I was listening to your class as I was meditating about being grateful. During, it wasn't like a few moments later. While I was doing it, I got the business that I, that, that I was grateful that I didn't have for. Meaning that the salvation came even as I was working on being grateful. And, uh, you know, as he was telling us, I'm like, this is, you know, amazing. I'm like, please keep me posted on this, you know, on this case. So he calls me up three days ago. Three days ago, he calls me up. Uh, it was Monday. And he says, you're not going to believe it. And he says, remember that uh, that listing that, you know, that we spoke about a few months ago? I was like, okay, vaguely, give me give me the details again. He gave me the details. And he's like, he's like, listen, listen to what happened. He says, it was, this, this house is on the market for a few months. And it was not been able, like, like there was no hits on it. They were unhappy on it. And uh, th- that's why they went to me. But now it's under double stress. Now this mark, you know, the market, this house has already been on the market and it hasn't been sold yet. And now the client wants me because I, I have to show something. He says, Rabbi, he says, within two weeks, I had an offer for the full asking price. And uh, so I said, so, so what happened? He said, today, we closed. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's unbelievable. That's amazing. He's like, you understand? He was like, I didn't have business. I didn't have anything. I was, I was, I, I started concentrating on being grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu did to me. While I was thinking about that, I got the deal. And not only that, now I closed it at full asking price. At this, at this market, it's really unbelievable. And he goes over to me and he says, I want to donate to whatever organization you want, you know, uh, the, the Meister money. 
So I said, okay, you know, perfect. You know, we've been raising money for our, our new camera. We've had, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we had an issue with the camera. And, uh, you know, Shimon Kalyakov, one of the founders of Torah Writing Time, reached out to me and he says, we're sending you your new camera. You raise, you know, you, ra- you, raise, you, you raise the money and, you know, you send it to, uh, you know, Torah Writing I said, fine, not a problem. So we got it, uh, um, we got the camera, I think, maybe two weeks ago. And, um, uh, and I... I posted on, you know, on the class, I said, whoever wants to donate towards the camera, it's a huge cost because every share that comes up comes, you know, like it's because of the camera. It's part of that. That's, that's like you get, you get part in every, in every share that comes out from it. And I was under the impression, like, we'll get the money within, I don't know, two, two, three classes, like it's going to be done. And, uh, you know, the first class, a few donations came in. The second class, maybe another donation or two came in. But it was really nothing that I was like, I thought it would be like, you know, we've been like done with it a long time ago. And I told him, I said, listen, he said, we're raising money for this, uh, uh, you know, for this camera. I said, you donate whatever you want towards the, send your money to Torah anytime and put it in for, you know, uh, you know, Zitra, Rabbi Zitron's camera. And then send me the, the screenshot so I could go and send it to uh, Shemin Kalyakov to, to have a calculation of where we're holding. He says, okay, fine. He says, I'm going to send you the Meister money. The Meister money is uh, $1,800. And I was like, wait, wait. I say, so one more time, what was that? He's like, he's like, yeah, the Meister money was is $1,800. I'm going to, uh, you know, send it in to Torah time. I'm like, now I told him, like, now you're not going to believe it. I'm like, the, the amount of money that I have to raise for Torah time is $1,800. The cost of the camera is exactly $1,800. Now, let's break this down. And he was, like, blown away. He was like, what? And I was like, what? It was like unbelievable. It, like, it was like a moment of, like, I was like, oh. You know, like, all of a sudden, the skies open up, and all of a sudden, you see the light. You know, like, what, what are those moments? But listen to, listen to the way this broke down. A few months ago, he happens to be listening to a class that he gave on a topic that he didn't even know that he needed to work on. And... And then he says, okay, maybe I should start working on it. I even think about it. Who thinks about being thankful for something that's bad, something that's not good? He starts working on it. He starts working on it. As he's working on it, all of a sudden the salvation starts kicking in and the salvation starts happening. Now, fast forward, you know, closing a real estate deal takes time. Fast forward a few months. I have issues with my camera. Completely unrelated to whatever he's dealing with, right? I have an issues with the camera. A new camera comes in. I have to go start, you know, going and, and, you know, scrambling to go and make sure we, we send in enough money for, you know, for, to, you know, to tour anytime. And what happens, what, like the unbelievable thing that happens is that while I am doing this, all of a sudden, Hakadish Baruch was working on a different angle and creating the salvation even before I had this problem. Meaning that, the, it, this salvation already started three months ago when he was started listening to the class, or two months ago, whenever he started listening to the class, and then he got the deal, and then he decided, wait a minute, since I listened to this class, and that gave me the idea, and he feels like that gave him the deal, so let, let me go and, and, and give the Meister money, and it ends up going in a full circle and helping for, it. it's almost as if Hashem is just like dishing out refuas, like left and right, it's like, here it is, it's like, it's like flying salvations in all angles, and the truth of the matter is, is that when we stop for a second and we look at our life, we can see this in so many different different angle. Sometimes it's straight out and sometimes it's not straight out. But the the beauty the beauty of it is is how, you know, sometimes you don't see it, but sometimes it's like so exact that like you can't make this up. Like it's a, it's 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 directly from, you know, from above. I even send this I send the, you know, after this happened, I sent a message to Shimon Kalyakov and he was like he's like, you know, you always send me different messages. He says this one by far is the best. <laughs> he's like this one is unbelievable. But the tr- but the truth of the matter is this happens to our lives on a daily basis. We just don't look for it, so we don't see it. But if we open our eyes, we could see the hashkach on how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is moving things, and how we almost had this issue, or we did have this issue, and then so quickly it was resolved. And if it wasn't resolved yet, the process of resol- being resolved is, is in the making. So, being that this was related to before the, before the Makkah, uh, um, I wanted to share with that with you. But I want to go on with the list that we that we're, we want to go through through, and that we're up to number four. And number four is that sometimes you don't realize the Makkah. you don't realize the affliction. Rav Shlomo Farhi brings down a story where there was a teenage boy that uh, came to him, and he says, "You know, Rabbi, I know that God loves me. I know that Hashem loves me." 
but I was facing a difficult situation and he needed help from the rabbi. And uh, Rabbi Farke asked him, says, you know, like, sometimes, you know, <laughs> rabbis do this and sometimes it, it backfires. He's like, can I ask you why you think that God loves you? And he's like, oh, yeah, very simple. He says, you know, in 2005, in the summer of 2005, I was traveling uh, by train to choir practice in London. And this I did every Thursday morning. It was a long trip from my home, so I had to, you know, leave early to make sure that I get to London by 9 a.m. And one morning, the train, uh, you know, was just a few short stops away from my destination. And I looked at my watch, and I saw that it was 8.30. And I knew that I was two stops away. I was five minutes away. I said, 8.30, I have a half hour. Let me get off the train over here. You know, there's a coffee shop that I know over here. Let me get a coffee. Let me get maybe, you know, something to eat. And then I'll, I'll get back on the next train, and I'll make it there on time to choir practice. So he gets off the train, thinking that there's plenty of time. And as he gets off the train, not a few moments go by before he even reached the coffee shop, there was this deafening explosion. The train that he was on blew up. And he was looking at it, and he was just on this train, and he became so emotional. Like, tears started running down his face, and, you know, like, all of a sudden, there's sirens, and there's, you know, like, there's smoke, and people are screaming. Like, there was crazy. It was so overwhelming. It didn't even, he like, just, just froze there. And, you know, he's thinking, he's like, okay, you know, let me, let me call my house, you know, let me tell him that, you know, I have to go home, I can't go to choir practice, like, you know, how am I going to get there, I'm stuck, and he tries calling, but all the phone systems were were down, the cell phone server, everything was down, the towers were down, and he decided he had no other option, he was a teenage boy, he says, I'm going to walk home, what am I going to do, walk home, and he starts walking home, and it takes him two hours to walk home. Two hours later, he opens the door to his house. He sees his entire family sitting over there on the floor, crying, bawling in tears. And he opens the door. He looks at him and he says, you know, what's going on? And, you know, his parents look at him and he's like, you're alive. They started screaming, you're alive. And he's like, what What are you talking about? And he's like, they were like, you were on the train. And he was like, yeah, you know, like I was on the train. But, you know, I I saw I had some time and I and I went off, you know, it was 830. I went off and, you know, like a a minute or two later, the train blew up and the parents were like 830. No, no, no. Says the news station was saying it was 850. And the boy's like, no, I was on the train. It was 830, 830. Everything blew up. And the parents, again, they were like, what are you talking about? 8.50, the, the, the entire London transit system was under synchronized terror attacks. And the boy says, I'm telling you, I looked at my watch, and it was 8.30. And he looks at his watch, and it still says 8.30. And now the boy is thinking. And he says, wait a minute, my watch is broken. So my watch is broken, meaning that really it was 8.50. Really, I should have been continuing on that train. Had I known it was 8.50, I would have stayed on the train. But I thought, what are we talking about? It's 8.30, I have plenty of time. And look at how HaKadosh Baruch Hu orchestrated it. The Makkah over here was so small. It was something so tight. He didn't even realize that it was a Makkah. His watch battery broke. All right, anybody who has watches know once your watch battery breaks, okay, now you have to figure it out. You got to go to a watchmaker. You can't figure out a watchmaker. You got to order, got to open it up, got to call order from Amazon. It's a little, you know, it's a small headache, but it's a headache. You know, and it, this boy didn't even realize that he had that headache. Meaning you don't, sometimes you don't realize your affliction and that's what saves you. He didn't realize. And because of, because his watch was broken and he didn't realize it, that saved his life. And the flip side is that sometimes you don't even realize the refuah. So we just said is that you don't realize the makkah, you don't realize the affliction. Sometimes you don't even realize the salvation. Listen to this. Two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, we gave a class on, um, on, on that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has many messengers. Right? This is Amunah part 61. And in it, I spoke about a story about this young girl by the name of Jaren es- Esther Gorsi. And uh, I don't want to go through the whole story, but just give you a little brief recap of the story. And whoever wants can go back into that class and listen to that story. It was about this young 16-year-old girl that unfortunately was taken from us at a very, very young age, passed away at the age of 16. And there was Torah classes that were done in her memory, and they built a mikvah in her memory. And, you know, the story that we spoke about it was about this woman, a reformed woman, that went and donated a large amount of money to this uh, mikvah when it was really in dire needs of money. And later, this reform woman had a dream about this girl that passed away, and she went to her mother, and she told over the dream, and it was like, it was crazy. I mean, go back into the class, listen to the whole, like, she was able to give details about bracelets, about rings, that there was no way that she would know, like, it, unbelievable, uh, you know, unbelievable story. 
it, this story was cut into a daily dose. This was daily dose number 1560. It was cut last week, Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, a week ago. This story ended up going viral, like from the from the Daily Dose. It ended up sending, getting sent, you know, like it went to the Daily Dose, and then it just get got sheared a tremendous amount. Yesterday, I get a call from none other than this girl's mother, Mrs. Rachel Gorsey, and uh, you know she whatever she we, we we spoke for quite some time. She, we I made a few mistakes. One of the mistakes that I want to uh, clarify was that this reform woman did not donate twenty five thousand. She donated forty five thousand, forty five thousand dollars. But she was telling me she says this this video was going and it came to her, and it came to her husband. And her husband saw the video and he went to visit this woman and who donated the forty five thousand dollars. And he showed her the video of me speaking about the daily dose. He showed her the daily dose. And uh, in there, this, uh, you know, the mother was telling me, Rachel, Mrs. Rachel Gorsey was telling me, you know, like, it didn't matter to her that I made a mistake from 45 to 20. Some people make a difference. Wait a minute, I donated 45,000. It didn't matter to her. She didn't care about that. She looked at the video and then she called her from her husband, from Dr. Gorsey, and then she called the mother. Mrs. Rachel Gorsey, and she said that she was crying over the phone. She was so moved. And she said, what is the chut I have? What a merit that I have to be that messenger. It's such an honor that I was a messenger to be able to build that mikvah. And she goes on, she tells Mrs. Gorsey, says, this is the best thing that she ever did in her life. The best thing. Unfortunately, she didn't have any children. This is the best thing that I ever did in my life. She was able to help build this mikvah. And I, I, you know, we spoke. To, I spoke with Mrs. Gorsey for a little bit over an hour, and, um, you know, this, you know, the mother was telling me, says, you know, when Jaron was 15 years old, about a year before she passed away, and uh, she said that she was sitting on the table, and uh, the mother said she she looked at me and she says, you know, I want to be a better person. And the mother goes and says, which 15-year-old stops what they're doing and be like, you know what, let me work on myself. Let me become a better person. And she started organizing classes at 15. And she would arrange a class and her friends came and the kids from public school came and kids from college came and they all came and they were giving classes. And meanwhile, what was happening is that she was becoming closer to Yiddish, got stronger and the family was becoming stronger. Was working on their emuna, working on Bede And then the mother tells me, says, I, said, I shared a story, I shared a poem when we said this class, but I, I only got four lines of the poem because that's the only one that I had access to. The mother sent me the full, full poem and I want to share this poem with you. This poem was written 25 days before she passed away. This is what she wrote. He's always there for us, no matter where we go. It is patience we need to give for us to see that flow. Bitachan is what we need. Imuna is what we gain. The trust and love we have for him must empower all our pain. It is confusion I must overcome, the stupid things it comes from. But only one inevitable might can stop that, and that will be Hashem. And that's what the mother, the mother read the poem to me. And... As she finished the poem, I was I told the mother, I'm like, you know what was happening? Hakadish Baruch Hu was preparing you before she passed away. She gave you it wasn't like she was sick. It was a complication and unfortunately she passed away. Like no one knew that it was happening. Hakadish Baruch Hu was preparing you with the Muna already from a year beforehand with classes. And 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 not only that, the girl herself, Esther, Jared herself, was writing poems. And you know what the mother told me? He says a hundred percent. My daughter prepared me for what was happening. It was because of her we were able to get through it. She was able to go and help people, help her family get through it because of the emuna and bitachon that she had. Now look at this. This is the refua that was coming. The, the, the maka was going to come. Unfortunately, it was her time. The maka, the, the maka was there, but the refua, the salvation, the help that came was started to come and nobody knew about it. Nobody thought, okay, this is what we need to get stronger. But you know, before you go and before you deal with something, if you're able to work on yourself, if you're able to build yourself, you're able to deal with that all that better. And here, already a year beforehand, the classes started giving. And not only that, 25 days before she passed away, she gave over this powerful poem. This powerful poem, and then when it's laminated now, it's done, you know, re, you know, really nicely. But you think about it, be like, how many times do we see that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is watching over us? 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in control. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is constantly overseeing everything. And if something as bad is happening, it's coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and He's preparing the salvation. And sometimes the salvation is not exactly what we may want to see it. But nonetheless, the salvation is there, whether it's helping us deal with the blow, whether it's helping us cope with it, or whether it's getting us out of it. The salvation is there and it's already being prepared beforehand. And really, you know, like I, I got to give credit. I spoke to the mother for over an hour. She gave me tremendous chizak. I know, I told her, I said, you should start giving classes. The amount that she spoke about in Muna, about Bitochan, about, you know, the fact that you don't, you're not supposed to have any gaiva, you can't, like, like this is stuff that, you know, she was a lecturer. I know what I'm trying to convince her to be able to go and, and write all this, the, the stories that, that, you know, that come out just from the 16-year-old girl and the, and the effects that she had. All from starting to just arrange classes before she was nifter. And then the, and then the girls came over to the mother and says, we want to continue the classes. And it continued. It became like a bet midrasha. It became like it, it spiraled and it continued to grow and grow. And even this woman, the woman that donated the, the 45,000, you know, dollars, Renee, she's now she's, you know, they, they gave for her Shabbos candles and they put a mezuzahs on the door. And like there's so much of a ripple effect that comes out. But we have to see things in the right angle. And if we don't see things in the right angle and we look at it from a little bit of a crooked angle, the, the whole viewpoint is messed up and our whole destination is warped and we don't get to where we're supposed to get how important it is to be able to look at things from the right angle. Let's go to number five. Number five is that the salvation can sometimes be many, many years away. And it's not always at the time. And sometimes we think about it, be like, you know what, fine. I'll work on myself. And I know the refuah is before the makkah. And we say, God, where is it? Where is it? Come on, I'm here. I'm waiting. Where is, where is the refuah? Sometimes we have to wait. There was a young rabbi who lived in Eretz Yisrael. But eight years before this story happened, he used to live in Brooklyn. And uh, before he became religious, he went and went out. One night out with his friends, and uh, at the end of the night, he noticed that his watch was missing. So he goes over to his friends. He says, "You know, you know, like maybe you saw my watch." And every friend denied knowing what happened. It was an expensive watch. He eventually forgot about the watch, and he uh, went to Israel to study in yeshiva. And uh, long story short, he became a rebbe in the yeshiva that he was studying, and he became not only like from, but he became you know helping other other boys also go get on the right there. Fast forward eight years later, the yeshiva was going through some sort of financial struggle and they were late with a salary. And a rabbi's salary is as is very low. And if you're missing, the rabbis are always paycheck to paycheck. There's nothing, there's no uh, usually saving that they are able to have. And uh, there was no, there was no money that was coming in and it was already Thursday afternoon and he had no money in his bank account. The bank account was like empty. There was no money to buy food for Shabbos. And beside the fact that he had a young family that he had to support, he had six boys from his yeshiva coming over Friday night for the meal. And he needed to buy a lot of food. You know, if anybody knows, six teenagers or six, you know, people in their early 20s, they can eat a lot, especially the men. He needed to buy a lot of food, but he had nothing. He quickly calls his brother Thursday afternoon in New York, and he says, can you please wire me some money? I need some money. I'll pay you back whenever I have it. And he said, you know, like, I haven't, I also haven't been paid in a while. I said, I could send you as much as I could, but only to a certain, you know, I I don't have that much to send. The next day, this Rebbe goes over to the bank and he checks his balance, check his balance. He says, no money was sent from his brother, but it was, you know, it was Friday morning. It was still in the middle of the night in New York. He couldn't call his brother. So he, he needed to buy his food from shoppers, but he had no money. So he starts heading to the grocery store and he goes to, uh, he starts praying to God. He says, Hashem, please help me. Give me a way to pay for my groceries. He says, well, you know, like he's sitting over there and he's shopping and he's putting stuff in the cart and he has no money. He's putting stuff. And while shopping, all of a sudden, he gets a tap on his shoulder and he turns around and he sees an old friend from New York. It was Danny, one of his friends. And he was visiting Israel with his wife. And Danny approached him, he started giving him Shalom Danny also became religious, and he goes over to his friend and he says, you know, I have to give you, I have to make a confession. He says, remember about eight years ago, we went out in Brooklyn and you lost your watch? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I remember, I love that watch. Expensive watch, I don't know whatever happened to it. So he says, you know, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I took the watch. And, uh, you know, 
ever since I became religious, I've been praying to Hashem that I'll be able to find you and so I could do tshuva and I could pay you back the money because I know that it was an expensive watch. And um, he says, I'm so happy that I see you now. He says, I want to pay you for that watch. And he says, I want you to, ra- to wait over here. I already calculated how much it's worth. I want you to wait over here. I'm running to the bank across the street. I'm giving you the money right now. And he runs out and he get- the watch was, was a significant value. And he gives, he gives this Rebbe that, you know, a tremendous amount of money for the watch. And now the, 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 the Rebbe has enough money to pay for the food for, for Friday, for the, for Friday, for the meal. And now he's thinking, he says, look at this. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took away the money eight years prior. When I didn't need the watch, I didn't need the money. He says, but he took it and he, he gave me the maka. He took away the watch, but he gave it back to me when I needed it most. When I was so desperate, he gave it me to the back when I needed the refuah. He says, he took it away eight years ago and he gave it back to me when I needed the most. The maka over here actually came before the refuah. It actually... Ver, you know, reverse itself. But what we see over here that the salvation of some difficulty that we're going through can sometimes happen many years in the you know in the future. You know, speaking about this, I remembered about a you know a story about uh, there was a, a man that who um, was 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 also an Israel and he happened to stop by the certain grocery that he doesn't frequent often. And the, the last time that he was in his grocery was months months ago. And while he was, uh, you know, checking out all his groceries, he happens to see there a Talmud Chacham who is a huge tzaddik and he knows that he's struggling financially. And he goes over to this Talmud Chacham and he hands him his credit card. He says, do me a favor. He says, anything that you're buying today for Shabbos, whatever it is, it's on me. And not only that, here's a credit card and I'm waiting for you outside in my car. I'm going to draw, I want to drive you home as well. The Talmud Chacham thanks him, takes the, you know, takes the card. Does his uh, you know Shabbos shopping? Uh, the, this guy pays for it with his credit card, and he goes out to meet him in his car. And as he's sitting in his car, and he's, he goes over to this his benefactor, this this Tam Chacham, this tzaddik, and he says, you know, I got to tell you something. He says, you know, this morning I didn't have any money for for Shabbos, and I know the Gemara and Beah says that Hakadosh Baruch Hu pays for our Shabbos expenses. So I worked to myself. I built up my amuna until I really, really felt it. And I really believed it, that everything is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu pays for all our Shabbos expenses. And once I felt I really, really believed that, I went to the grocery store. I didn't have a shekel to my name. I went to the grocery store. I said, Hashem will pay for it. <coughs> and I went over there and I started piling things on the cart. I had no idea what I was going to do when I get to the, to the, you know, to the cash register. And lo and behold, as I was loading everything up, you come and you offer to pay, you know, to pay everything. And we think about, by the way, you know, when I was in Israel, I could tell you there are people that do this on a weekly basis. They live, they live above nature. They have no money, but they're like, listen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help. And you know what? HaKadosh Baruch Hu does help. They have such a high level of Emunah B'Tachan that they literally see miracles week after week. But what we see over here, is the ability of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to provide salvation in the most difficult way possible, in the way that we would never even assume a salvation is possible. Who goes shopping without any money? Which one of us can say, you know what, I need to go buy a certain item, let me just go and we'll figure it out when we get there. Now, talking about people that they don't have credit card, you talk about people that they don't have the ability to go and pay on credit, things like that. They have a debit card or whatever cash they have in the pocket. And there is zero. And they say, God will help. You know when people say God will help? People say it when they say it from the mouth. You know? Right? You say it in your mouth, but in your heart, what do you believe that? Oh, come on. What am I going to do? How am I going to get to it? Look at the level that human beings are able to reach. If only we could only reach such a level where we're able to go and we're able to say, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to get it, but I know that you're going to take care of me. So that is... Number five. Number five is that the salvation can not only come in such an an unexpected manner, but rather it could also be years in the future. And if we don't see the salvation now, it doesn't mean that we should give up hope. Sometimes, and like the first story that we said, it could be eight years in the future. Let's go to number six. Number six is that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us something, some difficulty, some challenge, whatever it is, it's not out of anger, but it's rather out of love. Now, if someone gets affected by somebody else, it's usually because of anger, like like in a negative aspect. 
it's usually because of anger. They get they get hurt. So it's a, you know they come from a, from a, like a, like an anger thing that you know they hurt me because I did this to them and then they're paying me back. It comes from a very very negative place. But when Akadish Baruch Hu sends us something, it's not out of anger, despair, frustration, any other negative character trait. It's and could the proof. The proof of it is, is that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu was angry with us and didn't want us, and like it was, it was like a, it was just to bring us down, the refuah would never be before the maka. The salvation will never come before the affliction. It would never be that way. Rather, it would come, it, you know, it, the, the, you know how it happens. Let's explain it this way. Let's say you get angry at somebody. So you go and you penalize them, whatever it is, whether it's an employee, a child, whatever it is, and then afterwards you feel bad. Afterwards, you feel hurt, and then you decide to go and apologize and to make it up to them. So that's the way human beings are. We first give the maka, and then later we figure out how we're going to put the refuah. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is not like that. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is very, very calculated. Everything is very calculated before the maka comes. Okay, now let me think of how we're going to go and how we're going to go and 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 get this person out of this maka. And Hakadosh Baruch Hu creates the salvation before. The affliction, which means is that if the salvation comes before the affliction, it's not coming out of anger. It's not coming out of frustration. It's coming out of love that we need to send you this affliction. But don't worry, I got you. I have the salvation in my back pocket and we're waiting for whenever it's needed and that's when it's going to come out. And this is the idea behind, let's say you have a parent that goes and gives a child medicine and the child spits it out. It's disgusting. And the parent says, I'm giving you this because I love you, not because I hate you and I want you to taste something disgusting. This is going to heal you. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing for us. And that's number six. And now let's go to the final one, which is number seven. Number seven is possibly one of the most important ones. And that is accessing the salvation. So we know that there is a refuah before the makkah. There's a salvation before the affliction. But how do we access that salvation? So the Torah tells us that Yosef at Tzaddik was in prison and it appeared that there was no hope, right? There was, it's not like nowadays where you get a pardon or where you go, you, you're sitting in prison for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. Yosef at Tzaddik was sitting in prison and once you go in prison, there's, that's, that's it. You stay there until you know, something changes in the king's mind and decides to uh, you know, let you out. Yosef was, for all intensive purposes, Yosef was sitting in prison for life. And all of a sudden, what seemed to be so hopeless, out of nowhere, not only does he get out of prison, but he gets to to be the second in command. Now, if you think about what needed to take place for this to happen, the brothers had to sell him as a slave. He had to work as a slave. And then he had to do something that would throw him in prison for 12 years. He's sitting in prison and he gets happens to be in the same prison as the butler and the baker. And both of whom have a dream that he is able to perceive that they have a dream. He gets them to tell the dream. He interprets the dream. The dream comes true. And then only later, Paro has a dream. And then all of a sudden, everything unfolds and folds. You know how many things had to go into play over here for it to happen? Now, when you think about it, like when when the, the Pasa goes and says that Yosef told the butler... And, you know, like, the, that you're going to be released, the, the baker is going to be, be hung. And he told the butler, and this is the Gemara in Beratius in chapter 40, verse uh, 14. It says, V'zachatani el paro, remember me to paro, v'itzesi min and get me out of this prison. You know, like, tell paro, you know, about me, and maybe put in a good word. Put in a good word and get, get out, get out for me, get me out. And what happened was is that Yosef, however he interpreted the dream, it came exactly true. Three days later, he died, and three days later, he got restored to his previous, uh, you know, uh, uh, position. The, you know, the 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 butler, the wine maker, the wine pour. And the Rashbam goes and explains that when a person relies on natural means, when Yosef went and says, "You know what? I'm relying on you now. You go and you tell the king to go at Paro to go and and put in a good word for me, so I can get out of here." Says the Rashbam, "Oh, you're relying on natural means. You know what Akedus Baruch Hu says? You're relying on natural means. Fine, no problem. Akedus Baruch Hu says you want to rely on natural means. I'll let that nature take its course. What happens to nature? Name people forget." This butler got out of uh, you know prison. He got out and was restored to his power, but he completely forgot about about Yosef. And Yosef ended up sitting in prison for another two years. 
And you look at the Pasuk, you look at 9 Pesukim later, in Barashas chapter 40, verse 23. It says, Sarah Mashkim, the, the butler, the one who poured all the wine, he didn't remember Yosef, and he forgot about him. Says the all the Mefarshim asks, says, what's going on over here? Why does it say that the 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 butler for, did not remember Yosef and he forgot about him? What's the double language? He did not remember and he forgot. Loizachar Vaishkahu. Why does it say that he enough? One is enough. Loizachar, it's enough. Why is Vaishkahu? Says the Bina Leitim something so beautiful. He says, you know what? The Yishkachehu seems superfluous. It means there's no point for this. And we already know that the butler forgot about it. But he but says the Bina Leitim, it's not referring to the butler. Listen to this. The the Vlay Zachar Sahar Mashkim, that is, the Sahar Mashkim did not remember Yosef. Vaishkachehu that comes afterwards means that Yosef forgot about the Sahar Mashkim. The double language is not referring to the same person forgetting twice, but rather one, it's that the Sahar Mashkim forgot about Yosef. And number two is that Yosef forgot about the Sarah Mashkim. Once Yosef forgot about the Sarah Mashkim, the next parsha, the next parsha, what does it say? And it came to the end of the, of the two years. And what happened? And all of a sudden, that Paro had a dream and he was able to be released. Meaning that once Yosef didn't rely on the natural means. He didn't rely on Sarah Mashkin. Then all of a sudden, like this Bible says, oh, now you're not relying on nature, so now I could come in. And now I could come in with sal- with the salvation. And that's what it says, Vahimikates. It came to the end. It came to the end of what? The end of you relying on natural, on the natural means. And then all of a sudden, Parah has a, has a dream. Parah has a dream and he calls Yosef out. Meaning that you want to know how to access salvation? We have to realize that the salvation only comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, only comes from God, only comes from Hashem. Once we rely on Hashem, then we can see the salvation. Until we see and until we try to figure out where the salvation is coming from. It's coming from this doctor. It's coming from this boss. It's coming from this business deal. It's coming from this, whatever with this shatran and this thing. Whenever we're starting to rely and putting our, our salvation in other people, we do not have access to tap into that salvation. Once we're able to rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, once we're able to say, it's only HaKadosh Baruch Hu, only God is going to be able to provide to me this salvation, then the salvation comes. And this is how the Beis Halevi explains. It says, It came to the end. What, the, what was the end? And all of a sudden, Parach Island. It was not that the two years were over because Paro had a dream. Meaning it wasn't, it wasn't that the end of Yosef's you know, uh, you know, prison sentence came to an end because Paro had a dream. Rather, the decree came to an end. The decree came to an end. And once the decree came to an end, then all of a sudden Paro had a dream. And the Arachim says something so fascinating on this. The Arachim says that Paro had this dream every single day for two years. He just didn't remember it. He woke up and he forgot about it. Why did he have the same dream? Only to forget it in the morning. Because Yosef had to be in jail for those, until the, until he was able to vayishkachel, until he was able to go and forget about Sarah Mashkin, then all of a sudden Paro was able to remember the dream. And that's where the salvation came. Once he stopped relying on human nature, and once he started, stopped relying on anything else other than a Kaddish Baruch Hu, then the salvation was able to come. You know, and the Medrash says something very fascinating. You know, it's not on this, on this Parsha that it's not that Yosef was released from prison because Parah had the dream. But rather, the, 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 the Medrash, Barashas Rabbah says, Kate's sum that Hashem sent a limit to the darkness. Meaning that the time came for Yosef to go out. Now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has this Harbish Shluchim Lamakam. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has many messengers. Right? There's many messages that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to be able to send. Happens to be, this is the one that worked out. But don't think for a second that if you, how many people I speak to that they say like, you know what, my salvation could have came from this and I messed it up and because of that salvation didn't come. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a way of sending you the salvation in ways that you don't even dream of. Who could ever dream of a scenario that someone will come to second in the power of the most powerful kingdom in the world at the time because of a dream? Who could come to that? HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a way of working. 
You go and you haven't had a shidduch in a while and you haven't had it, you don't know where it's going to come from. You don't have to work. Hakadosh Baruch Hu send you a shidduch from left field that you don't even realize, you never even thought about it. You're sitting there, you're struggling with parnas, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make my ends meet. And all of a sudden, Hakadosh Baruch Hu sends you something from left field that you couldn't even dream about it if you made it up. And this is a vital lesson that we can learn. That the outcome can occur regardless of whatever we put ourselves you know, through. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the ability to do that, but we have to be able to access and tap into that. And the power of accessing and tapping into that is to realize that everything is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that everything is Min HaShemayim. The Baal Shem Tov was once uh, traveling with uh, one of his students, and it was after three days of traveling without water, the student was extremely thirsty. And the student told the Baal Shem Tov, he told, he says, Rebbe, if I don't get water now, I'm going to die. So the Baal Shem Tov says, have bitachon, have bitachon, have emuna, be able to concentrate, that you believe that HaKadosh Baruch is going to send you water, and HaKadosh Baruch will send you water. So this Talmud, the student, he started working on himself, and he focused and he trusted in HaKadosh Baruch that, he'd be, that he would provide him with water. And soon enough, a non-Jew passes by, and he was searching for something. And he looks at these two, the Baal Shem Tov, and so he looks at two Jews, and he says, did you see my horse? I, I lost my, my horses over here. And they were like, no, we, we happen to not see uh, you know, anything. And the man thanked him, he was about to leave, and the student says, well, maybe you have some water that we can take, we haven't drank in three days. And he says, yeah, not a problem. He had some water on him, and he gave, it, and he gave him the water. And the student drank the water, felt revived, gave the, you know, the, the, you know, the bucket back, whatever it was, the canister back, and the, the man went on his way. And the, Baal, the, the, the student goes over to the Baal Shem Tov, to his rabbi, and he says, I know that because of the bitachon that I had, that this man came now. That I know. But he goes over to, to him and he says, this man told us that he was searching for his horses for three days. Why was he looking for three days for his horses? Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do this for three days? And the Baal Shem Tov replied, he says, you are thirsty for three days, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu set, created the salvation already three days ago. But you only had access to it once you tapped into the Bitachon, then you were able to connect to the, to the solution. So we have so much power at our disposal, we don't realize how powerful the mind is and how powerful our emotion is. We're able to change worlds with our thoughts and with our emotions. And we have to be able to harness this power and be able to focus it in the right way. And just before we open up the questions, just let's give a quick recap on the seven steps that we spoke about in the past two classes. So number one, we spoke about that everything is planned. And once you know that it's planned, you know that there's a reason for it. No one plans something without a reason. And if something bad happens, if there's some affliction or some issues that happen, you know that it comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and it's planned. Number two, you should know that there is a cure already created. And once you know that there's a cure already created, then all of a sudden you're able to deal with the difficulty all that better, all that easier. Number three, we spoke about that, that sometimes we can see that our original discomfort, whether it be a minor discomfort like a battery of a watch or a major discomfort like missing a flight or whatever it is, that ultimately can come to our salvation. Number four, we spoke about that sometimes you don't realize the maka. You don't even realize the, the difficulty that's coming. And sometimes you don't even realize the salvation. You don't even realize that this Baruch Hu is sending you the refuah right now. And only later you're like, wait a minute, God prepared me for this difficulty. Number five, we spoke about that the salvation can come from many, many years in the future. It doesn't have to always come right away. Number six, we spoke about that the, the person that gets affected has to realize that it's not out of anger, but rather out of love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Just like a mother is giving medicine to a child, so to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us something difficult. It's like medicine for our, um, you know, whether it's our soul, our body, whatever it is, it's coming out of love. And finally, we said that the way that you access this salvation is to realize that it's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's all, once you realize that it's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then you could tap into the salvation that was already created before your affliction, before your Makkah began. And this is what I was thinking and how to get in it from all different angles. But this is not something that you're able to go and you're able to say, okay, 
I got the concepts. I got the idea. This is something that we have to work on a daily basis. And we have to open our eyes and we have to be able to see how HaKadosh Baruch Hu orchestrates all these seven points and to realize that even if something difficult is happening, to plug in these seven points and be able to go and to internalize it to the point that we're able to really feel comfortable that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to take care of us. And once we tap into that final point that it's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then the salvation is inevitable and the salvation is coming. And with that, we'll open up to questions. Okay, first one doesn't seem to be a question. The story was told at my daughter's school by the principal at a Shabbos assembly in your name. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so they have to hear the, the, you know, the second uh, you know, aspect to it. Um, okay, next question. If Hashem gave us a challenge we can overcome and come close to Him, then why is it that only seven people in the whole world throughout all the generations went straight to Olam Haba? It seems like we are almost forced to come into sinning and to live a life of doing tshuva is also not possible at every moment that we do uh, something wrong. Okay, so I, I'm, I think you're thinking about the four people. Well, you know I don't want to say what you're thinking about doing. Well, let me let me get to the point of your um, of your of your question. So, you're right that ain't tzaddik bala adam shalay echta. There's no tzaddik that comes into the world that doesn't sin, right? It's a pasuk in Kahalas that we know that Hakadosh Baruch Hu that that anybody over here is does not stay on the world without without sinning. And if the whole idea is to come close to them, then why we have all this difficulty? So. While granted we have difficulties and challenges in the world, the only way that we can come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is through the, the, the concept of free will. And if we don't have the ability to do bad, then almost everything is meaningless. Like if you're a robot and you have like no... I'll give you an example. So there's there's a new thing that uh, came out of was into uh, you know technology. Um, uh, the artificial intelligence started you know making a very very big uh, movement in uh, in the scientific world, especially since they had this thing called ChatGPT that you know that came out, where you have this basically artificial intelligence that you're able to ask it any questions and it's able to provide you with with you know crazy amount of information. Like you're able to go and ask it, create for me a Sheva Bracha speech on like Parshas. Uh, you know, truma or whatever, you know, like, and it will be able to pr- provide, you know, something, you know, like something actually, sometimes it's different. I asked it a few Torah related questions and I was actually really impressed on things that, you know, that it came out with. But you have this, this, computer-generated artificial intelligence that's providing nice different Torah, right? Giving, you know, collects data from all of the internet and compiles it and, and presents it to you. Does that mean anything? Does this computer get anything from it? Nothing. It's just taking things and plugging it in together. But let's say you have somebody that's working and learning and he's able to concentrate and he's able to go and he's able to plug in different things. Now this person says it's our Torah and it didn't come from a artificial intelligence, a computer-generated program. Then all of a sudden, you know, it means something. The computer is not getting reward. This person is getting reward. Why? They came both with the same conclusion. And the answer is this person has the ability to do other things. And, uh, you know, not not uh, learn, not not create this Dvar Torah, this this Shtikl Torah, and this computer, whatever you tell it, it automatically has no free will, it has no it, no mind of its own. Well, you know that's debatable, but it has no 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 free will to decide not to do something. If you if you program it, it has to do it. The the idea to be able to sin is imperative for our, our ability to be able to grow, our ability to be able to get close to Hakadosh Baruch Hu is only because we have the ability to go and and mess up, and just like you you. You know, like nobody healthy would go and fall in love with a machine. Like there's nothing about it. you would fall in love with a human being. Why? Because that human being has the ability to do bad and has the ability to do good. And when it chooses to do good, then it means so much more. So that's why, even though we have the ability to sin, and even though there's many people that sin, and there are many people that have to unfortunately go through cleansing process, it's still worth it because we wouldn't be able to get the good without the bad. Okay. Next question. Alright, I have a question that has been bothering me for a few weeks now. One of the answers given to the famous questions, why do bad things, why do good things happen to bad people, is that they have done some good things in their lives. So they're getting repaid for it in this world, so Hashem can pay them off. Now, so they won't go to Olam Haba. But we know the famous Chazal that all the pleasures and materialism in this world put together 
do not even amount to even one second of the next. So if nothing in this world can compare, then how can we say that they are getting their reward in this world if pleasure in this world are not even comparable to the next world? Okay, so that's a good, uh, good question. So the question really... Um, boils down to that if someone is getting reward on this world, how is that fear if the reward that they're getting in the next world is infinitely greater? So, there are many ways uh, to break this down, but I think the simplest way to break this down is that if someone did something good, payment has to be given. Now, the question is, what currency are we going to give this payment to? Now, the payment has to be given. So, so let's try to give this example in, um, in today's society. So let's say, let's say you go to a third world country and you want to buy a sophisticated piece of equipment, whether it's, uh, uh, I don't know, a laptop, a phone, or whatever it is. Because it's in a third world country and it's very difficult to acquire the product, you're going to be paying for that something, let's say it's worth $1,000, you could be paying two, three, four thousand $4,000 for that product right? because of the difficulty of bringing it and you know, putting it. Then you go to the, manu- the place where this is manufactured and you're able to get that at $1,000 and sometimes even at discount, maybe you're able to get it at $500. How could it be that in two parts of the world you're able to buy something for $500 and the same thing is going to cost $4,000 thousand dollars in another part of the world right and you look at this in technology it could be anything from cars to cell phones to like anything where really you see a huge change where you have in one part of the world it's worth you know you could buy for 500 and another part of the world you could buy it for uh you know uh, you know 200 300 percent more than than it would cost in the actual from the actual manufacturer and their answer is is because it depends on where you're buying it if you're buying it, you're getting the same product. You're getting the same product at the end, but you're paying a different currency. So when you have a bad person that's getting good in this world, they're getting paid what they deserve, but they're getting paid in the currency that's over here. If they would be worthy, they would get paid in the currency, you know, in the next, you know, in the next world where it's worth more. It's not that it's the, the value that they're getting, they're getting paid back. But sometimes you can make a lot on your money and sometimes you can make a little bit on your money. You could sell Bitcoin when it's low and you won't make so much money. You can sell Bitcoin when it's high and you can make a lot of money. People that are good and they've gone through their life, they're able to sell high and they're able to make a profit. People that are bad, they still have a profit, but they're going to sell low when they have a lower profit. So why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do this? Because at the end of the day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu pays everyone for what they did. But part of the punishment is that if you don't deserve it in the next world, you'll get it paid in this world. Paid, you're going to get paid. That's guaranteed. The question is, are you going to get pennies on the dollar or are you going to get you know, two, 300% markup on your product? Okay, uh, next question is, what is the difference between Emuna versus Bitachon? So we gave uh, a full class on this. I would definitely recommend It's one of the first classes in the Muna series. But the very, very brief understanding is Emuna is more the theoretical and the Bitachon is more the practical, where you're putting it into, into play. Next question. Oh, Baruch Hashem, what an outstanding share. Okay, good. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Happens to be, <laughs> in the beginning of the share, I was very distracted. And that's why I, was, I couldn't get to the, to the right point very quickly. But Baruch Hashem was able to you know, focus afterwards. So thank you that you appreciated and enjoyed the share. Um, uh, f- thank you for the inspirational story. My question is, my friend's son is turning 13. Well, we will celebrate over Shabbos. Mazel tov. I don't know what to get him as he is anti-Torah and doesn't want... He's anti-Torah. Okay, so the 13-year-old is anti-Torah and it doesn't want to know anything about anything about Judaism. Very sad. I want to get him a Judaica gift, yet I'm stuck. A store recommended a menorah so he can light his own menorah when the holiday comes. Other than that, I'm clueless. Let me know if you have any ideas. Thank you. Okay, so it's a difficult situation. It really depends on... Um, you know, where this kid is. So a menorah is definitely a nice thing because it gives him a little bit of a, you know, like an idea. It's like something spiritual, but something that you don't have to like read or learn about it. Um, and it could be anything. It could be like a shofar. It could be like any of these uh, things. It happens to be, you know, kids happen to like shofars. They all happen to like to make a lot of noise and they're able to figure out how to blow it. So the truth of the matter is, I don't know, maybe I would say a shofar, depending on the kid, really. Uh, but so either, yes, either you could give him like a Judaica-style gift, you want to give a Judaica-style gift. Um, the other option, you could buy him 
something that he's not going to use now, and it's a possibility he may open in the future, and that is, uh, there's a book, Safer, that was written by Rabbi Zamir Cohen called The Coming of the Revolution. It's a scientific book that proves the Torah. So that's also a good idea to give these types of kids, but it's, you know, like, they're not going to use it now. The question is if they're going to get to it afterwards. It's like very, it's very professionally done. It's la- like the, 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 it's like glossy paper with pictures and scientific evidence. Now as a 13 year old, you're not really going to get to that, but something that might come in the future. So I would say either that or any other Judaica thing like a shofar or a menorah. Um, Megillah is a little bit more expensive, but something, you know, along those, along those lines. But even more importantly, while you're bringing this, I would tell, you to have, you know, this kid speak to a rabbi. And if he's open to speak to me, I'll be more than happy to, you know, to speak to him. Just to get, you know, like a little bit that he's turning bar mitzvah. You know, I'm assuming that, I don't know what his religious thing is, but it's good to get a little bit of, of uh, you know, information to go down his way that he is now a, you know, he's mechayev in mitzvahs. And, you know, it's important to at least get him that information in the right way. Okay. Next question is, can a woman sing in front of men if they can't see or recognize who you are? Example, snowboard, snowboarding in a full suit and goggles and face and mask. No, you should still not sing. If they hear me sing, is that okay? No, they should still, you, you should not sing even if they can't see you. Um, and um, even if it's on recording, you shouldn't, you shouldn't sing it. Okay. Uh, no. Yeah, uh, thank you for the nice comments. And nobody here disturbed. Nobody here disturbed on the The disturbance was coming from here. Okay. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Naomi. You posted the um, the coming of the revolution. Yeah. Okay. Are you allowed? Okay. Next question. Are you allowed to say to hell in front of a man? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Absolutely. Next question. What was what was Korach meant to do if he was in a place of jealousy and it overtook him? He flight such a he had such a terrible punishment for something God put in him. So, uh, this question is a little bit loaded because I don't know which direction you're going. But I'm assuming you're going in the direction that Korach was put in a position with, whether you want to call it his insecurities or whether you want to call it his difficulties that he was going through. Um, Korach was put in a, uh, you know, in a situation. So, how... Can Hashem punish him, punish him if he put him in this situation? So the answer is that any situation that a Kaddish Baruch Hu puts us in, we have the ability to overcome it. Whether it's something that we don't think we can overcome or we could do, we can overcome anything that a Kaddish Baruch Hu sends our way, we can overcome it. We have the, the tools at our expense that we're able to overcome it. The question is, do we tap into it or do we not? So in Korach's case, he had the ability to overcome it. And he had the ability to become great, but unfortunately, he, uh, he, he didn't choose that path. And hence, that's why he was punished for it. Okay, we had here one last question. Can a group of women sing in front of men or in public? No, they should not sing in, uh, in front of men or in public. Not as a group and not as a recording. Men should not listen to Kalisha um, and, or any of the, anything of the sort. But I do, if you do want to more know about music, we do have a class. Um, if you go to Torah anytime, you search under my name, you'll see music. I have a whole class dedicated just on, on music for that. Oh, we have one last question that came in. So how about suicide when it is so hard for the person and then they go to Gehenna? Okay, so so once you deal... Suicide is a very, very delicate subject to speak about. And it's it's something that we can't judge and we can't, you know, say what's, you know, going to happen. Obviously, it's Asr Torah, It's forbidden from, you know, from the Torah. Nowadays, we do bury them in a Jewish cemetery. And one of the reasons is, is because that when we, when we say that the, if someone committed suicide, they didn't do it in the right mindset. And hence, they didn't do it in the right mindset. So the, 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 the severity of it is not to the, to that extent. But, um, what, what happens that Hakadosh Baruch Hu goes and judges a person. That's that's in, that's in Shemayim. It's definitely not allowed at under any circumstance. If it's not allowed, um, uh, and uh, including euthanasia or any of that sort, obviously you have to speak to a rabbi, a rabbi. But it's not allowed, and 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 nobody should think that oh maybe there's a way out because of X, Y, or Z. But if somebody unfortunately did it, that's for Hakadosh Baruch Hu to decide, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu to judge where, when, and how. You know, if they go to Ghanem or if they don't go to Ghanem, what that's that's a discussion that nobody could have. Only only Akadish Barhum. Okay, we had uh, another question that came in. 
I just want to know how it would be that Hashem works on a currency system. I thought he was equal and fair to all. He is equal and fair to all. And the currency system is out of fairness. Um, and and I, I'm trying to not give a very lengthy answer. But when somebody doesn't... Pos- when somebody is, as air quotes, right? Bad person. They don't care, again, air quotes, for the, you know, the next world, right? They're bad, right? They don't care about the next world. So they put very little emphasis on the next world. Hence the air quotes, they're bad, right? They're a bad person. We're, uh, obviously, we can't justify or, or judge somebody. But yeah, again, if they consider bad, they don't care about the next world. So this broker says, you don't care about the next world. No problem. You care about this world. This is where it's worth more for you. So let me give you where you think it's worth more for you. And this broker provides for the person where the, everything is midah connected midah. Um, where are we holding over here? Okay, what happened? What about King Shal? Okay, so we have over here, not only King Shal, you also have the story of like Masada, where you have people, there's so many stories of suicide where really, you know, tense, you know, they're not judged and really was considered a righteous thing to a certain, uh, you know, to a certain extent. And now again, we're not to judge about, you know, the, the certain cases, but as a general rule, suicide is not allowed. Uh, not, not that it's frowned upon. It's completely not allowed. In certain situations in history, you have the situations in Masada, and then you have the situations about, there was a whole thing about the, a bunch of little kids on, on, a, on a boat. There's a few stories. King Shaul was one of them. But that is something that we, that's not a lesson that we learn. They'll be like, well, if they did it, then it must be, it's okay. Obviously, there's a time and place for certain things. But again, that's something that Hakadosh Baruch Hu judges. But as a blanket rule, right? There's always something. There's always something that's out of the exception. But as a ex, as, as a general rule, it's never allowed. And don't think that oh wait maybe you know I'm in that position that it's not allowed. No, it's not. Seek help if you are looking into that uh, um, you know I guess path in life. Okay. Um, Okay, looks like that was the last um, that was the last uh, message. Um, uh, just one thing over here that came in private. So let me just write my number over here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, oh, it looks like we did have something else that came in. Okay, um, uh, it was a question came. Would, would, would I ever do a series on Gilgulim through the Tanakh? I, I actually did want to do that. There is a safer that discusses Gogulim for Tanakh. There's Marami Pano has a safer. There's a Shar Gogulim that also speaks about it as well. And I believe both of them are in English now, that you could actually buy them. Okay, last um, last question. After someone passes away, do they go to Ghana Aden or another place? Or do they come back down again? Is it better to come down again or go to Gehenim? Are people given a choice to come down again? Okay, we'll leave this as as you know as the last question. So the um, there is four paths that a person could take once they pass away. Number one is they could go to Gehenim, uh, which is the worst. You know, you know. Well, I should say the worst, but bad place, right? Gehenim, uh, hell, right? Number two is Ganadin, that's heaven. Number three is reincarnation that they come back into this world again. And number four is something called Kafakela. Kafakela is not Gehenim, not Ganeid, not Reincarnation. It's the in-between, it's in the in-between stage, which is the worst out of all of them. The worst out of all of them is because they didn't, they didn't even get to Gehenim yet. So um, it's better, what, what the Kabbalah teaches us, that it's better to go to Gehenim than to come down again. But uh, the, people usually are not given per se, an option. I can't say that nobody's given an option, but generally people do, are not given an option. They're directed into, into one, uh, you know, one path. So sometimes it's you know, Gehenim, sometimes it's reincarnation, sometimes it's Ganadin, and unfortunately sometimes it could be Kafakelab. Okay. Oh, we have one more question you know, that's uh, coming in. Oh, uh, I guess it's on the... Oh, on Gilgulan. Yes, okay. So if you're if you're looking for it, send me a message privately. I'll, I'll try to find it on, online for you, and I'll send you links that you can buy it, and that way it will be easier for you to uh, to find it. Okay, looks like we got everything. Thank you all for uh, joining, and until next week, may you have an amazing, unbelievable, best week of your life. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.